25. Why physician? Domestic treatment may be given as follows. Until a physician can be obtained, catnip, pennyroyal, or pleurisy root tea, containing one teaspoonful of the extract of smart weed, may be given, to drive the rash to the surface. Cold drinks are suitable to allay the thirst, nausea, and fever. The sick room should be kept at a temperature of about 65 degrees better, and fresh air admitted freely. The patient ought not to be overloaded with bedclothes, and the skin should be sponged over twice daily with tepid water, different parts being exposed successively, and carefully dried with soft cloths. Soda may be added to the water, but no soap should be used. The diet should consist of milk, extract of beef, and soups. Injections may be employed to relieve constipation, but purgatives should be avoided. We repeat that this disease is one which requires the attendance of the family physician, and great care should be exercised during recovery, that no bad results may follow. Smallpox, VARIOLA. Smallpox is produced by a specific poison, which is reproduced and multiplied during the progress of the disease. It is contained in the pustules, and in the excretions and exhalations of affected individuals. It is established after a period of incubation varying from 9 to 14 days after infection. There are two varieties of this disease, known as confluent and distinct variola. In the former, the vesicles run together. In the latter, they are separate. This fever has three stages. The first is that of invasion, distinctly marked by a chill or a series of chills, which alternate with flushes of heat. In this stage the tongue becomes coated. There is also nausea and vomiting, pain in the limbs back, and particularly in the loins, the latter symptom being of diagnostic importance. This stage continues about two days, and if the symptoms are light, it may be expected that the disease will be comparatively mild, and of the distinct variety, the stage of eruption. The eruption begins to appear on the skin, generally on the third day following the attack, though in the throat and mouth may be discovered round, whitish, or ashy spots. Several hours previous to the appearance of vesicles on the surface of the body, these are first seen on the face and neck, then on the trunk and upper extremities, and, lastly, on the lower extremities. The eruption at first appears in the form of small, red or purple spots, which change the texture of the skin by becoming more hard, blunt, and elevated. On the fifth day of the eruption they attain their full size, being softened and depressed in the center, and hence are called umbilicated. Now a change takes place, and the vesicles fill with matter and become plant, and there is a rise in the fever. The stage of suppuration commences thus, the pulse quickens, the skin becomes hotter, and in many cases of the confluent variety, swelling of the face, eyelids, and extremities occurs. Frequently there is passive delirium in the stage, and if diarrhea sets in it is an unfavorable sign. The duration of the stage of the eruption is four or five days. The stage of dizocation or of the drying of the pustules, commences between the 12th and 14th day of the disease, in the confluent variety, patches of scab cover all the space occupied by the eruption, and the skin exhales a sickening odor, the treatment should have reference to the determination of the eruption to the surface, if there is thirst, allow cold drinks, ice water, or lemonade, bathing the surface with cold water, breathing plenty of fresh air, using disinfectants in the room, and taking antiseptic medicine internally, are proper. Add one part of carbolic acid to six parts of glycerin. Mix from two to three drops of this with an ounce of water, and of this preparation administer teaspoonful doses frequently. A few drops of carbolic acid and glycerin may be rubbed up with Vaseline, 
and the surface anointed with it to prevent pitting. The malady is so grave that it should be entrusted to the care of the family physician. Varioloid. Modified smallpox. Varioloid is a modified form of smallpox. There is less constitutional disturbance, and very little or no pitting of the skin. Varioloid generally occurs in persons who have not been fully protected by vaccination. A person suffering from this modification of the disease may, by contagion, communicate to another genuine smallpox. The treatment is the same as that recommended in variola, VACCINIA, cowpox. The important discovery of vaccination is due to Dr. Jenner, who ascertained that when the cow was affected by this disease and it was then communicated to man, the affection was rendered very mild and devoid of danger, and at the same time it proved a very complete protection against smallpox. Like most other valuable discoveries introduced to the world, it encountered bitter prejudice and the most unfair opposition. Now its inestimable value is generally known and admitted, in a few cases, in which the quality of the vaccine virus was deteriorated, its effect is only to slightly modify smallpox, and then the disease resembles that caused by inoculation. The operation of infecting the blood with the kind virus is called vaccination. All that we know is that when the cow becomes affected with this disease, and it is then transferred to man, it loses its severity and serves as a protection against smallpox. In a great majority of cases this protection is absolute, and only in a very few does it leave the subject susceptible to smallpox. Materially modified, the protection it affords against smallpox is found to diminish after the lapse of an indefinite number of years, and hence it is important to be re-vaccinated once or twice. For instance, after an interval of five years, between the second and third months of infancy is the best period for vaccination and the place usually selected is the middle of the arm above the elbow joint. Chickenpox. V-A-R-I-C-L-A. Chickenpox is an eruptive disease, which affects children, and occasionally adults. It is attended with only slight constitutional disturbance, and island therefore, neither a distressing nor dangerous affection. The eruption first appears on the body, afterwards on the neck, the scalp, and lastly on the face. It appears on the second or third day after the attack and is succeeded by vesicles containing a transparent fluid. These begin to dry on the fifth, sixth, or seventh day. This disease may be distinguished from variola and varioloid by the shortness of the period of invasion, the mildness of the symptoms, and the absence of the deep, funnel-shaped depression of the vesicles, so noticeable in variola. Treatment. Ordinarily very little treatment is required. It is best to use daily on alkaline bath, and, as a drink, the tea of pleurisy root, catnip, or other diaphoretics, to which may be added from one half to a one teaspoonful of the extract of smart weed. If the fever runs high, a few drops of aconite in water will control it. Measles, parubiolae. This is generally a disease of less severity and importance than the other eruptive fevers, but it is sometimes followed by serious complications. The stage of invasion is marked by the symptoms of a common cold, sneezing, watery eyes, a discharge from the nostrils, a dry cough, chilliness, and headache. The stage may last four days, then follows an eruption of red dots or specks, which momentarily disappear on pressure. On the fourth day of the eruption the redness of the skin fades, the fever diminishes, and the vesicles dry into scales or little flakes. The eyes may be inflamed and the bowels may be quite lax at this stage. Treatment. The great object in the treatment is to bring out the eruption, to effect this. Sweating teas are beneficial. The free use of the extract of smart wheat is recommended. 
and the skin should be bathed every day with tepid water. Sometimes when warm drinks fail to bring out the eruption, drinking freely of cold water and keeping warmly covered in bed, will accomplish the desired result. False measles rose rash is an affection of very little importance and may be treated similarly to a case of ordinary measles. Erysipelas. There are few adult persons in this country who have not, by observation or experience, become somewhat familiar with this disease. Its manifestations are both constitutional and local, and their intensity varies exceedingly in different cases. The constitutional symptoms are usually the first to appear, and are of a febrile character. A distinct chill, attended by nausea and general derangement of the stomach is experienced, followed by febrile symptoms more or less severe. There are wandering pains in the body and sometimes a passive delirium exists. Simultaneously with these symptoms the local manifestations of the disease appear. A red spot develops on the face, the ear, or other part of the person. Its boundary is clearly marked and the affected portion slightly raised above the surrounding surface. It is characterized by a burning pain and is very sensitive to the touch. It is not necessary for the benefit of the popular reader that we should draw a distinction between the different varieties of this malady. The distinctions made are founded chiefly upon the depth to which the morbid condition attends, and not on any difference in the nature of the affection. Suppuration of the tissues involved is common in the severer forms. Should the tongue become dark and diarrhea set in attended with great prostration, the case is very serious, and energetic means must be employed to save life. A retrocession of the inflammation from the surface to a vital organ is an extremely dangerous symptom. The disease is not regarded as contagious, but has been known to become epidemic. Treatment. The treatment during the initial stage of this disease should correspond with the general principles laid down for the treatment of fever. The spirit vapor bath, with warm, diaphoretic teas, or the compound extract of smart weed may be given to favor sweating. The whole person should be frequently bathed in warm water rendered alkaline by the addition of salaratus or soda. The bowels should be moved by a full dose of the purgative pellets. Fluid extract of aconite in small and frequent doses will best control the fever. The specific treatment, which should not be omitted, consists in administering doses of 10 drops of the tincture of the muriate of iron in alternation with teaspoonful doses of the golden medical discovery, every three hours, as a local application. The inflamed surface may be covered with cloths wet in the mucilage of slippery elm, equal parts of sweet oil and spirits of turpentine, mixed and painted over the surface, is an application of unsurpassed efficacy. Diphtheria. This is an exceedingly grave, constitutional disease characterized by a rapid breaking down of the powers of life, together with a peculiar affection of the throat, in which a disposition to the formation of false membranes is a prominent feature. The formation of these membranes however, is not limited to the throat, but may occur on mucous surfaces elsewhere. Cause, infection with the specific germ of the disease by contagion or inoculation. It can be carried in milk or water, and the germs can attach themselves to furniture, walls, clothing, etc. A person with chronic diphtheritics or throat can infect children or susceptible persons with the disease in its most acute type by kissing. All persons with sore throat should avoid kissing as this disease is commonly spread in this way. Symptoms. The symptoms vary in different cases. In some the disease comes on gradually, while in others it is malignant from the first. The throat feels sore. The neck is stiff and a sense of languor, lassitude, and exhaustion pervades the system. Sometimes a chill is experienced at the outset. Febrile disturbance. Generally of a low, typhoid character, soon manifests itself. The skin is hot, 
there is intense thirst, the pulse is quick and feeble, ranging from 120 to 150 per minute, the tongue is generally loaded with a dirty coat, or it may be bright red, the odor of the breath is characteristic, and peculiarly offensive, and there is difficulty in swallowing and sometimes in breathing, vomiting is sometimes persistent, if we examine the throat, we find more or less swelling of the tonsils and surrounding parts, which are generally bright red, and shining, and covered with a profuse, glary, tenacious secretion, sometimes the parts are of a dusky, livid hue, and, in rare instances, pallid, the false membrane, a peculiar tough exudotion, soon appears and may be seen in patches, large or small, or covering the entire surface from the gums back as far as can be seen, its color varying from a whitish yellow to a gray or dark ashen tint, when it is thrown off, it sometimes leaves a foul, ulcerating surface beneath, the prostration soon becomes extreme, and small, livid spots may appear on the surface of the body, there may be delirium, which island in fatal cases, succeeded by stupor, or coma, the extremities become cold, diarrhea, and in some cases convulsions, indicate the approach of death, sometimes the patient dies before the false membrane forms, treatment, the extremely dangerous character of this disease demands that the services of a skillful physician be obtained at once, and that his efforts should be aided by the most thorough hygienic precautions, good fresh air, bathing, and a supporting diet, prior to the arrival of the physician, lose no time in using plenty of good brandy or whiskey to offset the extremely weakening effect of the disease, the employment of alcoholic stimulation in this disease is almost always used by physicians, control the vomiting and allay the thirst by allowing the patient to suck small pieces of ice every 5 or 10 minutes, hot fomentations or spirits of turpentine should be applied to the throat, if the physician does not take charge of the patient by this time, the use of permanganate of potash, triturated, in strength of one grain to the ounce, in a mixture of fine sugar of milk and domacacia, and blown over the parts with an insufflator every few hours, brings the best results if thoroughly carried out, or the throat can be swabbed out with the following mixture, chlorate of potash, 4 drams, tincture of muriate of iron, 3 drams, syrup of orange, 2 ounces, water sufficient to make 4 ounces, administered every 2 or 3 hours, inhaling steam or lime water from a steam atomizer is especially good, the use of blisters, caustics, active purges, mercurials, or bleeding, should be condemned, throughout the whole course of the disease the strength must be supported by the most nourishing diet, as well as by tonics and stimulants, beef tea, milk, milk punch, and brandy should be freely administered, a competent physician should be called in as early as possible, the general results of the treatment with antitoxin, if given on the first, second or third day of the disease, are usually favorable, there are rarely any immediately bad results from the injections, and the published testimony of careful observers would tend to prove that recovery has followed its use in a larger percentage of cases than under former methods of treatment. Quincy. Tonsillitis. This is an acute inflammation of the tonsils, which generally extends to, and involves adjacent strictures, and is attended with general febrile disturbance. Its duration varies from 4 to 20 days. It sometimes terminates by a gradual return to health resolution or by the formation of matter within the gland suppuration. When this latter is the case, the swelling sometimes becomes so great before it breaks as to require lancing. Causes, it most frequently results from a cold. In some persons there is a predisposition to it, and the individual is liable to recurring attacks. 
Persons of a scrofulous diathesis are more liable to it than others. Symptoms, difficulty of swallowing, soreness, and stiffness of the throat, are the first monitions of its approach. There is fever, quick, full pulse, and dryness of the skin, the tongue is furred, and the breath offensive. The tonsils are intensely red, swollen, and painful, the pain often extending to the ear. Sometimes but one tonsil is affected, though generally both are involved. In severe cases the patient cannot lie down, in consequence of the difficulty of breathing. Treatment. In the early stage of the disease, the spirit vapor bath is invaluable. The sweating which it produces should be kept up by the use of the compound extract of smart wheat in some diuthoretic infusion. Hot wet packs to the throat, covered with dry cloths, harmful. The inhalation of the hot vapor of water or vinegar, or peppermint and water, is beneficial. A carfartic should be given at night. When the disease does not show a disposition to yield to this treatment, the services of a physician should be obtained. When pus, or matter, is formed in the tonsil, which may be known by the increased swelling and the appearance of a yellowish spot, the services of a physician will be required to a lancet. Enlarged tonsils, chronic enlargement of the tonsils, as shown in figure 147. A is an exceedingly common affection. It is most common to those of a scrofulous habit. It rarely makes its appearance after the 30th year, unless it has existed in earlier life, and has been imperfectly cured. Both tonsils are generally, though unequally enlarged. A person affected with this disease is extremely liable to sore throat, and contracts it on the slightest exposure, the contraction of a cold, suppression of perspiration, or derangement of the digestive apparatus being sufficient to provoke inflammation, causes, repeated attacks of quinsy, scarlet fever diphtheria, or scrofula, and general impairment of the system, predispose the individual to this disease. Symptoms. The voice is often husky, nasal or guttural, and disagreeable. When the patient sleeps, a low moaning is heard, accompanied with snoring and stentorian breathing, and the head is thrown back so as to bring the mouth on a line with the windpipe, and thus facilitate the ingress of air into the lungs. When the affection becomes serious, it interferes with breathing and swallowing. The chest is liable to become flattened in front and arched behind, in consequence of the difficulty of respiration, thus predisposing the patient to pulmonary disease. On looking into the throat, the enlarged tonsils may be seen, as in the figure. Sometimes they are so greatly increased in size that they touch each other. Treatment. The indications to be carried out in the cure of this malady are, 1. To remedy the constitutional derangement. 2. To remove the enlargement of the tonsil glands. The successful fulfillment of the first indication may be readily accomplished by attention to hygiene, diet, clothing, and the use of the golden medical discovery, together with small daily doses of the pleasant purgative pellets. This treatment should be persevered in for a considerable length of time after the enlargement has disappeared. To prevent a return, to fulfill the second indication, astringent gargles may be used, infusions of which hazel or cranes bill should be used during the day. The following mixture is unsurpassed, iodine, 1 dram, iodide of potash, 4 drams, pure, soft water, 2 ounces, apply this preparation to the enlarged tonsils twice a day, with a probang, or soft swab, being careful to paint them each time, a persevering use of these remedies, both internal and local, is necessary to reduce and restore the parts to a healthy condition. Sometimes the enlarged tonsils undergo calcareous degeneration, in this case, nothing but their removal by a surgical operation is effectual.
This can be readily accomplished by any competent surgeon. We have operated in a large number of cases, and have never met with any unfavorable results. Elongation of the uvula, chronic enlargement or elongation of the uvula, or palate, as shown at P figure 147, may arise from the same causes as enlargement of the tonsils. It subjects the individual to a great deal of annoyance by dropping into and irritating the throat. It causes tickling and frequent desire to clear the throat, change, weakness, or entire loss of voice, and difficulty of breathing, frequently giving rise to the most persistent and aggravating cough. Treatment. The treatment already laid down for enlarged tonsils, with which affection, elongation of the uvula is so often associated, is generally effectual. When it has existed for a long time and does not yield to this treatment, it may be removed by any competent surgeon. ANAMIA. When the blood contains less than the ordinary number of red corpuscles, the condition is known as anemia, and is characterized by every sign of debility, a copious hemorrhage, in consequence of a cut, or other serious injury, will lessen the quantity of blood and may produce anemia. After sudden bloodletting, the volume of the circulation is quickly restored by absorption of fluid but the red corpuscles cannot be so readily replaced, so that the blood is poorer by being more watery. This is only one way in which the blood is impoverished. The blood may be exhausted by a drain upon the system. In consequence of hard and prolonged study, severe mental employment consumes the red corpuscles, leaving the blood thin, the skin cool and pale, and the extremities moist and cold. Anemia may arise from lack of exercise, or it may be occasioned by mental depression, anxiety, disappointment, trouble, acute excitement of the emotions or passions, spinal irritation, in fact, there are many special relations existing between the red corpuscles of the blood and the various states of the mind and the nervous system, the latter depends directly upon the health and quantity of these red corpuscles for its ability to execute its functions, anemia may arise in consequence of low diet, or because the elementary organs do not properly digest the food, or when there is not sufficient variety in the diet, no matter how anemia is occasioned, whether by labor and expenditure, by hemorrhages, lead poisoning, prolonged exposure to miasmatic influences, deprivation of food, indigestion, imperfect assimilation, frequent childbearing, or lactation, the number of the red corpuscles in the blood is materially diminished, the diagnostic symptoms of anemia are pallor of the face, lips, tongue, and general surface. Weakness of the vital organs, hurried respiration on slight exercise, swelling or poofiness of the eyes, and a murmur of the heart, resembling the sound of a bellows. This disorder of the blood tends to develop low inflammation, dropsical effusion, tubercular deposits, Bright's disease, derangements of the liver, diarrhea, leucorrhea, and is a precursor of low, protracted fevers. This condition of the blood predisposes to the development of other affections providing they are in existence, and often it is found associated with Bright's disease, cancer, and lung difficulties. Treatment. 1. Prevent all unnecessary waste and vital expenditure. 2. Place the patient under favorable circumstances for recovery, by regulating the exercise and clothing entertaining the mind, and furnishing plenty of pure air. 3. Prescribe such a nutritious diet as will agree with the enfeebled condition of the patient. 4. Regular habits should be established in regard to meals, exercise, recreation, rest, and sleep. 5. The use of tonics and stimulants, as much as the stomach will bear, should be encouraged. Bathe the surface with a solution of a dram of quinine and a pint of whiskey. 
6. Iron, in some form, is the special internal remedy in anemia. Meantime, it is proper to treat the patient with gentle, manual friction, rubbing the surface of the body lightly and briskly with the warm, dry hand, which greatly stimulates the circulation of the blood. Anemia occurs more frequently in the female than in the male, because her functions and duties are more likely to give rise to it. Apnea, apnea, or short, hurried, difficult respiration, is occasioned by certain conditions of the blood, when anything interferes with the absorption of oxygen, or the elimination of carbonic acid, the blood is not changed from venous to arterial, and becomes incapable of sustaining life, this morbid condition is termed asphyxia, we often read of persons going into a wells where there are noxious gases, or remaining in a closed room where there are live coals generating carbonic acid gas and thus becoming asphyxiated, dying for want of oxygen. Deficiency of oxygen is the cause of apnea, and sometimes the red corpuscles themselves are so few, worn out, or destroyed, that they cannot carry sufficient oxygen, and the consequence is that the patient becomes short of breath, and when a fatal degeneration of the corpuscles ensues, he dies of asphyxia. Many a child grows thin and one and continues to waste away, the parents little dreaming that the slow consumption of the red corpuscles of the blood is the cause which is undermining the health. Sometimes this disease is the result of starvation, irregular feeding, improper diet, want of care, and, at other times, want of fresh air, proper exercise, and sunlight. Treatment, the first essential to success in the treatment of this disease, is the removal of the exciting cause. Exercise in the outdoor air and sunlight, with good, nutritious food, and well-ventilated sleeping apartments, are of the greatest importance. The better tonics, as hydrastin, with pyrophosphate of iron, should be employed to enrich the blood and build up the strength. L-E-U-C-O-C-Y-D-H-A-M-I-A. This term is used to designate a condition in which there is an excess of colorless blood corpuscles. In health, the colorless corpuscles should exist only in the proportion of one to a one or two hundred of the red corpuscles. These colorless corpuscles increase when there is disease of the lymphatic glands, but whether this is the cause of their increase or perversion is not known. They have been found abundant in the blood in diseases of the spleen and of the liver. Diarrhea usually attends this complaint, together with difficult breathing, loss of strength, gradual decline, fever, diminution of vital forces, and finally death. The recovery of a well-marked case of this disease is very doubtful. Its average duration is about one year. Dropsies. Transudation is the passage of fluid through the tissue of any part of the body without changing its liquid state. While exudation means, medically, the passage of matter which coagulates and gives rise to solid deposits. When transudations are unhealthy, they may accumulate in serous cavities or in cellular structures, and constitute dropsy. Exudation is the result of inflammation and the product if used coagulates and becomes the seat of a new growth of tissue. Exosmosis means the passage of fluid from within outward, and is a process constantly taking place in health, while transudation takes place because the blood is watery and the tissues are feeble and permeable, permitting the serum and watery elements of the blood to pass into certain cavities, where they accumulate. The cause of dropsies may be low diet, insufficient exercise, indigestion, hemorrhages, wasting diseases, in fact, anything which impoverishes the blood and increases the relative amount of serum, the tardy circulation of blood in the veins, or its obstruction in any way, is a condition highly favorable to the development of dropsy. General dropsy is called anasarca, 
and is readily distinguished by bloating or poofiness of the skin all over the body. This condition is also called edema. The skin is pale, yields under the finger without pain, and preserves the impression for some time. The edema usually appears first in the lower extremities, next in the face, and from thence extends over the body. General dropsy is commonly due to an impoverished condition of the blood, and this may be the result of albuminuria, a disease of the kidneys. Albuminuria is frequently the sequel of scarlatina. Hence, the utmost care should be taken against exposure of a patient recovering from scarlatina, and the same caution should be exercised during convalescence from measles, erysipelas, and rheumatism. Dropsies may be general, as in anasarca, or local, as dropsy of the heart, called cardiac dropsy, dropsy of the peritoneum, the serous membrane which lines the abdominal cavity, called ascites, dropsy of the chest called hydrothorax, dropsy of the head, called hydrocephalus, dropsy of the scrotum, called hydrocele, dropsy is not, therefore, of itself a disease, but only the symptom of a morbid condition of the blood, kidneys, liver, or heart, thus disease of the valves of the heart, may obstruct the free flow of blood and thus retard its circulation, in consequence the pulse grows small and weak, and the patient cannot exercise or labor as usual, and finally the lower limbs begin to swell, then the face and body, the skin looks dusky, the appetite is impaired, the kidneys become diseased, there is difficulty in breathing, and the patient, it is said, dies of dropsy, yet dropsy was the result of a disease of the heart, which retarded the circulation and enfeebled the system, and which was actually the primary cause of death, treatment, dropsy being only a symptom of various morbid conditions existing in the system, any treatment to be radically beneficial must, therefore, have reference to the diseased conditions upon which the dropsical effusion, in each individual case, depends, these are so various, and frequently so obscure, as to require the best diagnostic skill possessed by the experienced specialist, to detect them, there are, however, a few general principles which are applicable to the treatment of nearly all cases of dropsy, nutritious diet, Frequent alkaline baths to keep the skin in good condition and favor excretion through its pores, and a general hygienic regulation of the daily habits, are of the greatest importance. There are also a few general remedies which may prove more or less beneficial in nearly all cases. We refer to diuretics and hydragogue cathartics. The object sought in the administration of these is the evacuation of the accumulated fluids through the kidneys and bowels, thus giving relief. Of the diuretics, Queen of the Meadow. Uku, and digitalis generally operate well. As a cathartic, the purgative pellets accompanied with a teaspoonful or two of cream of tartar, will prove serviceable. Beyond these general principles of treatment it would be useless for us to attempt to advise the invalid suffering from any one of the many forms of dropsy. The specialist skilled by large experience in detecting the exact morbid condition which causes the watery effusion and accumulation can select his remedies to meet the peculiar indications presented by each individual case. Sometimes they are, 